Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would challenge us today, that you would move us today. Lord, not by my words, but by yours. Lord, we pray that the parables we read today would poke us a little bit, shake us a little bit, move us closer to you. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. A television program preceded the 1988 Winter Olympics, and it featured blind skiers being trained for slalom skiing, impossible as that sounds. Uh, these blind skiers first were taught on the flats how to make right and left turns, just like sighted seers are, and then when that was mastered, they were taken up to the slalom slope where their sighted partners skied right alongside them shouting, left, right, left. And amazingly, as they obeyed the commands, even though they couldn't see, some of them were able to negotiate the course and cross the finish line based solely on their ability to trust and follow their sighted skiers' words. Of course, if they didn't, they quickly and horribly ended in failure. Uh, it was either trust or catastrophe. Uh, if you're paying attention, this is now the second sermon illustration uh, in two weeks about skiing in snow. Um, I don't know about the, it's like a cold weather kick I'm on or something. I can't imagine why. Um, that said, here's the thing. If this is you and you are blind and you have skis on your feet and a long, steep, treacherous slope in front of you that you can't see, how focused would you be on the voice right beside you? How alert would you be to what's going on around you? How much trust would you need to have in your partner in order to push off down the slope? I mean, it sort of goes without saying, you probably wouldn't be thinking about that conversation you had a couple weeks ago that went a little weird. That probably wouldn't be going through your mind right there. Most likely, you don't have like AirPods in or you're not listening to a, a book or music or a podcast at that moment. Most likely, you wouldn't be easily distractible because, of course, your attention would be completely captured by the person skiing next to you. Knowing that not just your success, not just your safety, but your very life is in their hands. It strikes me that even though you can't see, you would be very, very alert to their voice. Now, let's imagine we're opening up our eyes and getting off this scary mountain because it strikes me that this is much, much harder to do in some ways when it's not quite so immediate or intense or risky. More than that, it's become so much more difficult for us to maintain an alertness like this in ordinary, everyday life. In fact, sometimes it's because we can see that we become so much more distracted. 
So much so that we can lose the sound of that still, small voice in our ears, or even lose sight of the God who we are supposed to be keeping our eyes on and following. It can be hard to listen to and look for God when it's just another day. Sure, sure, if I'm on a a ski slope and my eyes are shut, I'm going to listen real well, but not so much when it's just today. I mean, in some ways, we can probably see this in the opposite. It's relatively easy to be faithful to God in a crisis. It's easy to be faithful to God when something is going wrong. It's easy to be faithful to God when I need something from God. But when it's just an ordinary Tuesday afternoon in July, well, then it's harder to maintain faithfulness, to to maintain alertness, to maintain even just awareness of God's presence. It's harder to be listening for what God may be calling us to be and do, which is what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. First, let me briefly back up and remind you where we are. All summer long, we've been working our way through the parables of Jesus because this is one of the primary ways that Jesus taught those first disciples how to follow Him, and it's one of the primary ways that He he painted this picture of what the kingdom of God is like. As we remember, parables are little, short, everyday stories that a teacher would just sort of drop out there and then move on. And it was up to us as disciples to either pick it up or leave it be. Sometimes these parables were very easy, very obvious to understand and easy to apply. More often than not, they're not all that obvious or easy to understand. In fact, we started the summer with a bunch of times where Jesus would share a pretty obvious parable, and then moments later we have the disciples saying, yeah, we didn't understand anything you're talking about. Can you re-explain that one to us? In fact, in some ways it's because of their simplicity and ordinariness that they're they're easy to ignore and, and overlook. What's more, some of these stories have become overly familiar to us. We're about to get to one, and so they've lost their edge when we hear them. But remember, Jesus is using these as tools to try and change us. And so it's up to us then not only to hear them, but to sit with them and enter into them and respond to them, which means we have some work to do. So if you would, I would invite you and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Matthew 25, verse 1. While you're turning there, I'm going to let you know that today's passage is toward the end of the book of Matthew. It's toward the end of Jesus' teaching ministry in Matthew. He's on His way to a cross, and the cross is now imminent. But therefore, there is a greater urgency and importance to His teachings here at the end. In case the disciples start to cram for the exam, He's pushing a little bit harder to help them out. So you'll feel a little bit more of an edge to these teachings. So let's read. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. 
the bridegroom was long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with him. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Ouch. <laughs> Again. Uh, what's more, that's not the first time we've had to end one of these parables with, with an ouch. Which simply highlights some of these parables pack a bit of a punch. Remember, Jesus is trying to cause an effect. Anyway, going back through these parables for a minute. The first parable is about 10 young women. Think 10, 12 years old or so. Think flower girls and bridesmaids who are getting ready for a wedding and the party that will inevitably follow. They go out to meet and wait for the bridegroom who is, for whatever reason, showing up later. He's celebrating at his house. He's celebrating at her house. He's traveling from a distance. Whatever the case, he's not here yet, but he's coming. But it's going to take some time before he shows up. But when he does arrive, 
the party's going to get started. And so they wait. They're waiting so long that they end up falling asleep. But then in the middle of the night, they are awakened when someone cries out that the bridegroom is finally arriving. They quickly wake up, rub the sleep out of their eyes, put themselves back together, get their lamps ready so they can see at night and so that this party will have some light. But of course, the foolish girls haven't come prepared. They have no extra oil. And the way the story is being told, there's not enough to go around. And so those who are prepared tell those who aren't to go Go buy some somewhere, never mind that it's midnight and that's probably going to be hard to find. But it doesn't matter because while they're out, the bridegroom arrives, the wise ones are taken into the party and the door is shut. When the foolish girls show back up, they are not welcomed in. And Jesus concludes, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Which brings us straight into the parable then of the talents which is a much more familiar parable, though maybe too familiar, because this one has been heard so many times and preached so many more times that maybe sometimes we miss the point. In fact, it's sort of fun doing it not in stewardship season. I don't know that that's ever been done in the history of Christianity. But let's make sure we're, we're hearing these details first. A man is going on a journey. He entrusts his stuff to his servants, and it is a significant amount of wealth. Eight bags of gold, five to one, two to one, and one to the last. Each bag of gold would have been the equivalent of about 20 years of wages. So they are significant. The first two servants put the money straight to work. They go out, they start to work, and they end up doubling the money. When the master comes home, he's pleased to see what they've done, and he entrusts them with even more, and he invites them to join him in his joy. Of course, the last servant didn't do that. He didn't go out. He didn't actively engage. He just sort of buried the money in the ground. Obviously, that sounds sort of ridiculous to us back then. That's not actually the worst way to save money. And so he puts it in the ground so he can return it to his master. The problem is, and much more to the point, that was not the intent of the entrusted wealth. The master didn't ask them to bury the money. He entrusted it to their care. There was an expectation there. And our servant here takes the easy way, the passive way, the lazy way, the bare minimum is how he responds which is why the master is upset when he returns. And therefore, he takes what had been entrusted to this third servant and gives it to one of the others. And then he throws the unfaithful servant out. And again, this parable ends on kind of that same note as the last parable with a clear message that we are to stay alert and stay faithful. With all of that as kind of a recap of the story, let's dig a bit deeper and figure out what this means to us. Because it seems to me that the point of both of these parables is that we are to stay faithful and stay alert as we take part in the kingdom. More interestingly, I think that staying faithful and staying alert sort of feed back into each other. As I stay faithful, it makes me more alert what God may be doing. And, and as I'm more alert and aware of what God is doing, it calls me back toward faithfulness. And all of that is made easier as I recognize that I'm living in 
the coming kingdom. But let's dig in. We start with both of these parables teaching us faithfulness. Though we also notice that faithfulness often comes in the midst and the context of waiting. Because in some ways, the real challenge of faithfulness has to do with time. It's one thing to be faithful at the, at the very beginning of faith. It's one thing to be faithful at the very end of life. But how about in those in-between times, in the ordinary times, in the everyday times? How do we stay faithful when we're just waiting? The bridesmaids are waiting for the bridegroom, but they don't know when he's going to come. The servants are awaiting for the return of their master, but we don't know how long that's going to take. We don't know how long they're going to have to wait. And yet it's in the waiting that they are called to be faithful, to be wise, to be hardworking, to be good stewards. And this can be seen the best in some ways in the two servants who double the master's resources. The passage is clear that after receiving enormous gifts from their master, they immediately go out and they go to work. But the master is gone for a while. And yet the whole time we are clear that they are doing the master's work faithfully, which is why there's fruit to their work. But it's hard to stay faithful like that. This is really the first challenge we come to because it's hard to be consistently faithful in the everyday. It's hard to be that disciplined on a Tuesday. It's hard to make a discipline of prayer. It's hard to make a discipline of study. It's hard to make a discipline of faith and fellowship and worship and service. It's hard to make a discipline of following after Jesus. And yet faithfulness is the expectation and the instruction of these parables. Of course, as we are faithful, we are changed, and, and we continue to become more alert, which is the other challenge and calling of these parables, because in both parables, we are called to a greater level of alertness. The wise maidens, because they were ready, because they were prepared, are brought into the banquet. The first two servants are ready for the return of their master. They are all living with an awareness of the timeliness of the arrival which causes them to live as if the one they await could come at any moment. I'm struck by this, this faithful alertness, particularly because it's not how most of us live out our faith. Too often, I think, we err on the side of the unwise bridesmaids, focusing our faith so immediately that we can't sustain our faithfulness. We, we're so alert to the moment that we, we kind of miss the bigger picture, and it's hard for us to, to stay alert. Or we err on the side of the third servant. We sort of just bury our faith until the end so that it doesn't have any immediate claims on our life at all. And yet these parables call us to be much more alert to God's promptings, to God's presence, we are to be searching for opportunities to serve. We are to be prepared for God's call and mission at any time. We are to be on the lookout for God in our ordinary, everyday moments. The groom is coming. The master is returning. 
And we are to be the kind of people who they will find ready, who they will find prepared, who they will find to be alert, which is hard. I mean, it's one thing to be paying attention when I call your attention to something, or if something happens, or if you're, you're just getting started, but it's hard to keep that level of focus because it's so easy to just start coasting, so easy to become distracted. It's so easy to become completely caught up with just the currents of everyday life that it's hard to do much else. And the next thing we know, we've lost our focus. And yet in both of these parables, God is calling us to stay vigilant, to stay not just aware but alert. But maybe these two all work together more than we think. As we become more alert to what God is doing, it's easier to stay faithful. And as we stay faithful, it refocuses us and alerts us to what God is doing around us. If, if I'm alert and I see something that God is doing, it's easier then for me to, to be faithful, to, to pray. If I'm alert and I realize that there's some part of the world that is not making any sense in, in my life, I, it's easier for me to study. God, I don't understand this. I, I'm noticing something I don't understand, so now I can be faithful and, and study. If life gets hard in some way, it's easier for me to prioritize community and service and faith. Because as I become more alert, it helps me to be more faithful. But the flip side is true as well. As I'm doing the everyday, every moment work of faithfulness, it strengthens me and reminds me to be alert, calls me to a, a greater watchfulness, wakefulness, readiness, because I know that God is all around me, is on the move. And this is why it's so important to build these rhythms of faithfulness into our life because they return us to a focus and an alertness on God. Sometimes we'll, we'll start, especially in the new year or at other settings, we'll, we'll start like, uh, I'm going to take some time in the morning, do a quiet time. I'm going to spend some time reading. I'm going to spend some time praying. And, and then there's that day that you're like, I didn't get anything. I, I was reading Chronicles today. There's, there's, uh, there's, there was nothing. Except that faithfulness makes me more aware of God, makes me more alert to God. Even though Chronicles that day didn't give me anything, I think, it changes the way I see my world so that now, because of that moment of faithfulness, I'm more alert to what God may be doing the rest of the day. The wise bridesmaids are able to be more alert because they were prepared in faithfulness. And because they were alert enough to realize that something might delay the groom's return, they, are, they made the faithful preparations. The faithful servants were more ready for the return of the master because they had been steadily at work. And because of their steadiness, they were looking forward to the return of the master. Can you imagine? The master gave you five bags of gold, and you have, by this point, raised five more. Man, I can't wait till he comes back. He's going to be so excited. 
The expectation was I did something, but man, I did good. That servant is more alert, ready for the master because of his faithfulness. I wonder today, do we need to cultivate a new kind of alertness to God's presence by renewing these disciplines of faithfulness? Or do you need to cultivate a deeper faithfulness by becoming more alert to what God may be calling us to to do all around us. Going back to where we started with those blind skiers, they learned to be more alert to their instructors by the faithfulness of learning on the flat slopes, on the bunny slopes. And their alertness on the steep slopes allowed them to be more faithfully aware of and faithful to their instructors' calls as they flew down the mountain. They go together. Which brings us briefly all the way back to the beginning of the first parable. Because both of these parables are told in the context of the kingdom of heaven will be like. Remember, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven all summer long. We're not talking about a heaven that is only later or distant. But there's something about the kingdom of God that has been ushered in by Jesus. Something changed in Jesus' ministry. such that the kingdom of God is now, but then there's also a part of God's kingdom that's still coming. So there's this now and not yet part of the kingdom, which is why as we do God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, we are living and bringing a little bit more of God's kingdom come. But it's also why we pray in the Lord's Prayer that there's more of God's kingdom that we would have come and more of God's will that we would have done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're recognizing I'm in it now, and I'm living it out now, but there's also a peace that still needs to come, because this world is still not the way God wants it to be, which becomes our work. It becomes the reason that we are alert and the reason that we stay faithful, because we are working in and looking forward to the coming of God's kingdom. And as we do that work, as we live in this time of waiting, the call is to be faithful, and the call is to be alert. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray that You would help us because we live lives that become overwhelmed at worst and distracted at best. And it's easy for us to lose our focus on you. So, Lord God, we pray that you would help us in our everyday faithfulness so that we might have eyes that are just a little bit more open to what you are doing and and ears that are a little bit more open to what you may be saying. That we might live with a little bit more awareness of where you are and what you're calling us to. But Lord God, as we then become more alert to what you're doing, that that would then drive our faithfulness. Because as we see what you're at work doing, we know we need to pray more. We know we need to study more. We know we need to serve more. And as we see what you're doing, of course, we respond in worship as well. So Lord God, we pray that you would help us. Help us see your kingdom here and coming. Help us live in that reality. 
And may that change us. Help us become more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.